Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. Do you find it difficult to live godly when everyone around you is not? You're not alone, and it's not a new problem. Over 2,500 years ago, a teenager was forced to live in exile in one of the most ungodly cultures the earth has ever seen. Despite the challenges and persecution, he found a way to honor God in everything he did. His example is still powerful for us today. Join us now for a six-part series on Daniel as we learn to live life in exile. part three of a series we've been doing on Daniel, uh, straight out of the book of Daniel, first six chapters there. And the theme of this entire series is focusing on how to live our lives as a minority in exile. And if this is your first time here, if you haven't heard the other messages, you can go and catch them online. But I'm going to try to bring us all up to speed real quickly on what it means to be a minority in exile. Every single one of us has a label. We have a designation for our lives. The truth is we have multiple labels and multiple designations. And so you may say, I'm a Southerner. You may say, I'm an American. You may say, I'm Scotch-Irish. I'm African-American. You may say, I'm a soldier. I'm a businessman. We've got all kinds of labels and designations we could put on our lives. But if we know and recognize our primary designation, what comes first is that we are a Christian. We are a Christian. We are members of the kingdom of God then that alone means we're in exile because the world around us is not always living according to the same standards or the same values. We, we took a long time in, in part one to kind of unpack that thought, so that's a very condensed version of it. But the reality is if we look at the world around us today, our culture is not driven by biblical values. Our lawmakers do not decide every law based upon biblical values. And so the world around us means we are living in exile among them. It's very similar to Daniel. Of course, he was physically picked up and carried off to a different nation. It's easier for him to recognize that. For you and me, it's a little harder, but the reality is still there. And statistically, we're the minority. If you look around our country today, although many people may say that they're a Christian, if you do the math or find out how many people actually worship God and read their Bible and talk to God about their lives, the number of people that try to live as a Christian is definitely a minority in our world today. So we're learning how to live as a minority in exile. And I want to give you a little bit of perspective that might help us with this. I grew up in America, and so I did what everyone else does. I get consumed with the majority and living in this world. And so as a teenager, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. I couldn't wait to turn 18 and get to leave home, get to buy my first car, get a college degree so that I have a career, and all of these sorts of things. And I was very much concerned with the things we're all concerned about. But when I went off to college, God wrecked my idea of what life was all about. And so four days after graduation, I moved to Romania to join a church planning team where I met and married my wife. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the reason for that is because I needed to learn the language or marry my translator, and I chose to marry my translator, so she was always around. Anyway, but when I went to Romania, it was very easy for me to keep my focus on being a minority in exile. I, was, I don't know the language because I married my translator. I don't know the culture. I'm not from the culture. I'm not one of these people. And so instead of trying to buy a house and buy a car and do all these things, I was happy to take a taxi everywhere. I was happy to rent an apartment. that I didn't care what color the walls were. I didn't care that the floor, they had put in hardwood floors and never finished them. They weren't even sanded. You didn't walk barefoot in my apartment. You know, you kept your shoes on. And, and it was okay. I would wake up every day thinking, 
Okay, what are we going to do today to help start more churches in this country? What are we going to do today to maybe do an outreach in this city? That was my perspective because I knew I was a minority in exile. But then when I moved back to America, I lose that perspective fast. Next thing you know, working on a job, trying to get a career, working towards retirement, trying to save up for vacation. And we get caught up in building our little world. It's so hard for us to remember that we are a minority in exile. Our kingdom is in heaven. Our king is on his throne. The reason for our lives is not what we're building here. And, and so the question that we need to address is why we are doing this series. It is not just so we can talk about, hey, you're a minority in exile, learn to coexist. Matter of fact, that is not the answer. We are not learning that we're a minority in exile so we can just learn how to coexist on the earth with everyone else. But we are learning that we are a minority in exile so that we can do what God has given us to do, which is to have influence in the culture. How many of you have ever heard the phrase, so go the leaders, so go the culture? You may have put a different word at the end. People use this phrase a lot of the time. So go the leaders, so go the business. So go the leaders, so go whatever. But I think it's very true. So go the leaders, so go the culture. Does everybody agree that that happens? So here's the question that we need to answer for ourselves today. Here's what we're talking about today. What if? What could happen if the minority, at least some in the minority, rose up and became influencers of leaders or leaders with influence either one whatever god has for you think about that what if we instead of just trying to learn how to hide out as a christian and survive long enough to die and get to heaven just you know going to church once a week what if we stopped thinking like that and started thinking how can we have an influence how can we become leaders with influence? Well, that's exactly what we're looking at with Daniel today. We're in chapter 2 if you've got your Bibles. If not, it's going to be on the screen right behind my head. And we're going to start in verse 3. But I'm going to give you the backstory real quick. So here's what's happening. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Again, he's the one that has taken Daniel captive. And he's having dreams. The truth is they're probably better called nightmares because he's tormented by them. He doesn't understand them. And he's afraid that they mean something negative for him. And so he's done what everyone did back in that era of the world. And they called in the magicians and the sorcerers and the enchanters and whomever and said, tell me what my dream means. And there was also one other group of those people. They were called the Chaldeans. We're going to read about them. So let me just give you perspective. The Chaldeans were like the same idea we have today of gypsies. Anybody grew up hearing the word gypsies and, and you, they, you, they painted this picture of people who just traveled around the world in little wagons with little crystal balls telling you your future? Okay, just so you know, there are a lot of gypsies in Romania. That's not really who they are or what they live, but, but we were raised with that kind of thinking. So the Chaldeans were an entire group of people who were known for fortune telling and their magic arts. So here we go. We're in verse three. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O oh, king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Now, question, anybody's boss ever told you that if you don't? All right, so just so you know, if you're not excited to go to work tomorrow, you do have it easier than all of these people, all right? So they entered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, 
I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. Skip a little bit. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. This is really important for us to see what's going on and ask the question, does this ever happen to us? Here's what's happening. King Nebuchadnezzar has been told what people thought he wanted to hear his entire life. He'd ask a question, people would say what they thought, because they wanted to keep their heads. That's how you talk to a king. You tell him what he wants to hear, right? And so for his whole life, he's had dreams. He's brought in these people to interpret the dream. But this dream has really got him bothered. He knows there's something special about this dream. And so he knows this dream didn't come from the pizza that he ate or whatever else, because he's been having this dream over and over and over, and it's been tormenting him. And he is hungry for something. You know what he's hungry for? Authentic spirituality with power. Authentic spirituality with power. He's tried everything else, and it didn't work. He's had the magicians come and tell him what his dream means before, and it didn't work. It didn't do any good. Matter of fact, he's used to this. They're scared. He's already told him, like, look, give me the answer, or the decree is already made. There's no way out of this. You will be torn limb from limb. Your houses will be leveled. This is the end for you unless you can tell me the answer. The problem is they don't have it. You know why? They're frauds, utter and complete frauds. They're fakes. They have no power, as we're going to see their answer in a minute. They're literally going to admit, like, nobody can do what you're asking. Nobody has this power. They're fake. You work with people. You live next door to people. You have extended family members who are in the exact same place as King Nebuchadnezzar. The question is, do we see it? Do we see when someone says, can you help me with my marriage? I've tried that. I've been there. I've talked to that person and nothing seems to work. And what they're saying is, can you give me, I'm going to give one more shot. Can you give me something that has power? They say, look, I tried that religion, I tried that, I went to that temple, I went to that mosque, I went to that church. Nothing seems to have any power, any truth. I've been to see doctors, and they don't have answers, and I've asked these people, and no one has answers. Do you have something that has power? The question we need to honestly ask ourselves is when we're at work, when we're living our lives, when we're talking to people, do we recognize when someone around us is hungry? for authentic spirituality with power, saying, just show me something because I am ready to believe. And we're going to see that happen today. So here's what the Chaldeans said, because they know they're frauds. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, look, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asked is difficult. And remember these words. We're going to come back to these words in a minute. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. No one can show it except the gods. You want to see a power that is not of the earth. You want to see a power that is from the heavenly realm. Well, just so you know, they don't talk to us. They don't live among us. They're the only ones that can do it. We can't do it. So the king, you're asking a ridiculous request here because nobody, nobody on earth can do what you were asking for. Remember their reply. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them as well. You see, anybody who gave counsel to the king, if you were a magician, a sorcerer, an enchanter, or you were just an advisor, you were counted in this group of wise men. 
And the king is now frustrated that everyone says what they, they want to say, what he thinks they think he wants to say, uh, to hear. And so no one is giving him legitimate answers and he's ready to be done with all of them. And so then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to the man who came to kill him. Can y'all just hold on to that? Because we're going to talk about that a little bit later today. So people who don't believe in his God are coming to kill him for nothing he's done. And he replies with prudence and discretion to the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men. And he declared to Ariok, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? So then Ariok made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. This is absolutely crazy. If you do not know the story, you're thinking, oh, so Daniel knows what the dream is about. So he has gone in and said, hey, king, excuse me, I'd like an appointment. I'm going to tell you what your dream is about. Wrong. Here's the truth. Daniel did say, oh, so the king is going to kill everybody because nobody knows what his dream is about. Huh. Excuse me, king, I'd like an appointment because I'm going to tell you what your dream is all about. no clue check out his next actions then daniel went to his house and he made the matter known to his three friends hananiah mishael and azariah his companions and told them seek mercy from god help seek mercy from the god of heaven concerning this mystery so that daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of babylon then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel didn't know the dream. And he didn't know the interpretation. But it didn't stop him from taking a risk for God. What are you not willing to risk for God? What are you afraid to lose? You do realize Daniel was going to lose everything if he didn't show up with the answer the next morning, right? He wasn't going to just lose his position or his house. He was losing his life. He was going to lose his head. Now, I will give you one point. He was going to lose his head either way. So his risk was fairly a little bit safer than maybe a risk you're going to take. But don't hide behind that. Let's challenge ourselves for a minute. Let me ask you this. Imagine that tomorrow morning, the, the CEO of your business calls everybody together into a room. You don't normally know this guy or see him because, you know, you're on the first floor and he's on the seventh floor or whatever. And that's kind of how that works. And so he says, look, we've gotten some reports and some forecasts and some predictions about our company, and they all spell the same thing. If we continue to do business as we have always done it, and we've tried everything in the book, but if we continue, we're shutting down in less than six weeks. Anybody got an answer? And because you work on the first floor, not the seventh, you don't even understand the reports. You don't even know. You don't, you don't even have any idea. Now, here's the question. How many of us at that point would risk our career would risk our reputation, would risk being called totally insane to raise your hand and say, excuse me, Mr. CEO, can I set an appointment with you in the morning? I'd like to give you a plan. I've got a plan on how we can save our business. And then you run home. Honey, let's pray. Because <laughs> I got less than 24 hours to come up with something. And I don't have anything. Right. How many of us are willing to risk to stand up before somebody and say what Daniel said? So here's exactly what happens. Daniel does get the interpretation. He goes and stands before the king. Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, no enchanters, no magicians, no astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. Can you imagine at this point the king is thinking, Then why are you here? Then why did you make an appointment with me? 
But he goes on to say, no man, no wise men, no enchanters, no magicians, but there is a God in heaven. But there is a God in heaven who can reveal these mysteries. He has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. But as for me, just so you know, it's not me. But as for me, I do not have any wisdom more than any of all the living. But in order that this interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And this is where we disconnect because we think we can't do that. Daniel could interpret dreams. I don't interpret dreams. I don't have this kind of power. Jimmy, why are you giving us this example like we can go off and do this? Except you can. Because see, follow this. Daniel said there is a God in heaven. There's a God. Here, here's our problem. Do you remember what the Chaldeans said? Our problem is we think like the Chaldeans. They said no man, no magician, nobody can do this because all of the gods up there have the power and they don't talk to us and they don't give it to us. And we live our lives way too much like them instead of like Christians who have been told something different where Daniel says there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There's a God in heaven who speaks to his children. Did you know Jesus was the one who said, I am going to give you my spirit. The same spirit of this God is the one who lives inside of every single one of his children, lives inside of us. And Jesus is the one who said, when my spirit comes upon you, you will have power to be what? My witnesses to do what Daniel did. Matter of fact, you're gonna, when power comes upon you, you're going to do greater things than what I did. Oh, I just raised people from the dead. Oh, I just told people things they didn't know about themselves. And I mean, I was, you know, but you're going to do greater things than that. But we don't live like that, do we? We don't walk in that kind of power because we've got this idea that there's, there's a God up in heaven and he doesn't dwell with man, except our God does dwell with man. And he does speak to man and he does tell us. So Daniel interprets the dream. We're going to skip a bunch of reading. And I'm just going to show you the dream and talk you through it. Put a picture on the screen here. This is the dream he had. It was of an image. And on this image was this warrior and his head was of gold. But then his chest and his arms were of silver. And then his, his waist and his thighs were of bronze. And then his feet were iron, but the iron was mixed with clay. And so obviously King Nebuchadnezzar is a great king and a, and a leader of an empire and a kingdom is worried because this statue, it seems to show a declining strength of something. And he doesn't know what it means, but he's pretty sure it's bad news for him. And guess what it is? Because Daniel comes to him and says, well, just so you know, the good news, you're the gold. That's the good news. You're the gold. You are the greatest kingdom the earth will ever see. Bad news, gold doesn't last forever. You will not last forever. Your kingdom will not last forever. There will come other kingdoms after you. They will be strong and they will be great, not as great as yours. And so we look at history, the scholars and historians believe that the silver and the bronze refer to the Medo Persians and to the Greeks. So we see other great empires, nothing ever rivaled quite like Babylon was. And then we believe that the iron, the fourth kingdom, represents Rome. Rome is the last great empire that our world ever saw. And if you wonder, what does it mean by being mixed with clay? Because every other empire and kingdom would conquer people and they would turn those people into their slaves or their servants, but they would keep them separate. Well, Rome didn't do that. Rome said, we, we're just going to make a great Rome. We're going to call everybody Romans. We will conquer you and tell you that you are now subjects of Rome. And some of you, if you spend enough money, can become citizens of Rome. The problem is they were mixing clay with iron because when they said die for Rome, 
Someone who was a Roman subject wasn't necessarily happy to do that. And so the values were different and the culture was different. And so that great iron empire ultimately ended up being brittle and not lasting forever, as we know history tells us. And this is what Daniel said to the king. In those days, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven, you remember he says, but there is a God of heaven, but the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms. The gold, yes. The silver, yes. The bronze, yes. The iron, yes. Every kingdom, it shall break into pieces. It shall bring them to an end, and it itself shall stand forever. This is why this series is so important. This is why we're doing this series. Whatever designation you have in your life, it will fade. Whatever you identify yourself by, it will go away. You can cling to something and say, I'm clinging to, to having this career and having this pension, except it may not last. I'm clinging to being a part of, of this community of people because, you know, they're brilliant and it's going to work out well. It may not. And we see people even today in America. I mean, what are we about to do in the next couple of months? Elect a president. I have never seen people more distraught I realize I haven't lived for thousands of years, but I've lived a little while and I've never seen people more distraught about what the future holds. And it is interesting, I'm sorry, not a political statement, just flow with me, because this is kind of funny, that I've never, I don't think we've ever had an election where people were, were trying to figure out which of the two losers they were going to vote for. I mean, and I don't mean that like to call them losers, but literally it's like the battle of the losers. They both have unfavorability ratings, like nobody likes any of them. How did we get to that point? And, and so I don't care what you think about either one. That doesn't really matter. That's not my point. My point is that people are afraid. We're going to vote on November 8th, and people are terrified of what November night holds. Well, here's the point. We belong to a kingdom that will never be shaken. I don't know what all is going to happen in our country. I can't promise you what next year holds or the year after that. I am blessed to be an American. It's a great country. I'm glad I get to live here. I'm not saying bad things about that. All I'm saying is that my security doesn't come from my passport. My security comes from God. Does that make sense? And we've got to, because here's what you've got to understand. America didn't even make the statue. It's a great nation, but nothing is going to last forever except our citizenship in heaven. The number one thing we've got to get out of this series is that we are a minority in exile. And you can love your other designations, but they can never be first. I cheer for my college team because I'm an alumni. It's one of my designations, but it's not the most important thing in my life. I'm an American, and when I travel, I get in the, in the line for American citizen. And, and I don't throw my passport in the trash because I do value it, but I don't value it above my citizenship in the kingdom. Are, are you following what I'm saying? We've got to understand what is most important. What is most important is seeing values that line up with a kingdom that will last forever. And even after Daniel looks at Nebuchadnezzar and says, by the way, your gold, but gold ain't going to last forever. And just so you know, remember the God that gave me this dream? That God is going to destroy everything. Nebuchadnezzar's response, check out his response. Because that wasn't exactly a nice thing to say to King Nebuchadnezzar, but check this out. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. To him. Are you kidding me? Yeah, see, here's the point. When your friend is hungry for authentic, 
spirituality with power and you show them something that only God could do, it doesn't matter if they agree with everything in that book. They will say, praise be to your God. When they get healed and the doctor could because you prayed for them and said, but there's a God in heaven that can heal you. Let me pray for you. They don't have to like every one of the Ten Commandments. They don't have to agree with everything, but they will bow down. They will fall on their knees, on their face, and they will worship. Check out the next thing King Nebuchadnezzar said. Then the king answered and said to Daniel, truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. You cannot deny authentic spirituality with power. When we will let our God show up and defend his glory, you can't deny what he does. So then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, chief prefect over all the wise men. Remember everybody who was lying before said God couldn't do anything? He's their boss now. How cool is that? Oh, don't worry. Next week we'll figure out how they try to kill him, but it's all good. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three friends, over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. Here's our point. Daniel was taken as a prisoner into exile in a pagan nation who did everything in a pagan way, nothing that would honor God in any way, and yet Daniel just rose to a position of great influence. He became an influencer. And so our question for us today, how do we become influencers? How do we become influencers? Good news for you, I don't have to make up the answer. We're just going to see what Daniel did because Daniel gives us the answer. The first one we already talked about earlier in the series no compromise. I recommend you write these down, by the way, because these are going to help you. You're going to take these and you're going to apply these to your life. It's going to change how you live if you will remember these, if you will write these down or snap it with your cell phone, whatever you want to do once the, all five get on the screen there. First one is no compromise. We've seen over the series how Daniel refused to live like the people around him. He insisted that he was going to hold to higher principles and higher values. Okay, here's the point. You have no influence if you don't have anything different to offer. If all you have to say is what everyone else is already saying louder and better, you will have no influence. Does everybody know that if you mix yellow paint with blue paint, you get green? Do you know what happens when you mix yellow paint with yellow paint? Yellow, very good. And that's the whole problem. If we compromise, we have nothing to offer. We cannot influence change because we are just like everything around us. And Daniel said, I will not compromise. And it led to the second thing that Daniel did, is maintain identity. Daniel refused to become a Babylonian, but he stayed as a follower of his God, as a worshiper of his God. He was not going to give in. He was a minority in exile, and he was not going to change how he lived. Nothing was going to break him of that. And the third one, this is my favorite. And I think if there's anything you're going to listen to today, listen to this one. It's more practical for you in your life than anything else I've got to say. Be excellent. Be excellent in skill. That's not on the screen. You might need to write that down. Be excellent in skill and be excellent in character. Excellent in skill, excellent in character. And if you were here last week, we talked about Daniel. When he started this, he was 14 years old. Teenagers, do I have anybody in here under 18? I've got lots of you, right? Pay attention to this. And so he was given an option to study and to work for three years to become one of the king's wise men. And what did Daniel do? His homework. He studied. He could have gone off and been lazy. Watch what Daniel could have done. You know what most of us would have done? It ain't my fault, God. You're the one that sent me here. 
You're the one that let my nation get conquered. We prayed to you. You let this happen? Get off my back. I'm just going to live out my days here, and I'm going to enjoy the stuff they have. I don't know why you think I should live any different. This is all your fault in the first place. How many of us blame God for our circumstances, and then we go to a pity party? But Daniel, no. Daniel said, no, no, no. I'm going to do everything they ask, and I'm going to become one of the best. And so he studied their language, and he studied their literature, and he studied everything, and he was excellent at everything that he did. He was the best. We read about it last week. He was the best 10 times better than anyone else that they could find around them. So let me ask you this question. What would have happened if Daniel had not been a man who could impress the king? There'd be a lot of people in this story going very differently be a lot of dead people at this point. What would have happened if Daniel had not been a man who could impress the king? You see, he was excellent in skill. And we have to ask ourselves sometimes because we don't influence the world around us and we think it's just because we're a Christian that's been rejected by a non-Christian culture. No, 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 no. Daniel wasn't rejected by a non-Christian culture. Our problem is we're not excellent in skill. Are you the best at what you do? to the best of your ability. We're not all given the same talents, I give you that. Are you showing up for work 10 minutes late all the time? Why is your boss gonna listen to you? You're the one he's gotta fuss at. Are you the kid in class who won't get off your phone, you won't pay attention, you won't turn in your homework, and you, you have a smart aleck remark to your teacher? No wonder you can't influence them. Are you the best at what you do? Are you the one that wants to be the starter on the team, first chair in the band, whatever it is you do? Are you fighting to be excellent in skill so that you can have influence with man? And how about the second part? Be excellent in character. Y'all do realize Daniel, man, he made some hard choices based on principles. He was offered all of the king's stuff, the king's wine, the king's food. And, and it's not exactly explicitly stated, but it goes without saying. He was offered all of the finer pleasures that humanity's debauchery had to offer in Babylon. He could have been with all the Babylonian women. He could have been doing anything. I want you to imagine this story going completely different. So imagine that Daniel decides he's going to compromise a little. He doesn't care much about his identity. Who cares about being excellent in character? He's in, he's in exile, and it's all God's fault. Bring me more of the king's wine. Come on, man. God, king's got, he's got the good stuff. Bring me more of that wine. Yeah, I like that. Oh, and, and he's sitting here, he's having a party, and he's got some lady folk friends over at his party, some other guys hanging out, and they're having a good time, and somebody bursts through the door. Where's Daniel? We're here to kill the wise men. You can just imagine Daniel going, what? Oh, ladies, ladies, y'all got to go. I got to work now. And, and, and what's going on? Oh, the king wants to kill us. Oh, okay. Well, hey, let me, let me see if I can get something about that. Uh, God, excuse me, I think you're there. I'm just a little room spinning a little bit right now, but I need you to tell me what this dream is. How's that going to go? What if Daniel had not been a man who could impress the king? But more importantly, what if Daniel had not been a man God could validate? And you want to know what's wrong with most of our lives? We strike out on both. We show up late. We do just a good enough job to get a paycheck. We just can't wait for Friday. Our attitudes are mediocre. We don't have character that God can validate. Matter of fact, most of what you're going through that you're asking God to get you out of isn't the enemy. It's God trying to correct you in the first place. 
so that you can become a person he can validate. And we wonder why we don't have any influence. God doesn't back mediocre. God doesn't back compromised people. God doesn't back someone who gives away their identity. That hurt, didn't it? But I tell you what, one of the biggest things I deal with as a pastor is the number of people who come in and they, they knock on my door and they say, can you pray for me because my prayers aren't working. You know, I need God to do this and God isn't showing up. God's not showing up because he doesn't hear your prayer. God's not showing up because he can't validate what you're living. That's, if I haven't offended you quite yet, let's go on to number four. I'll take a new stab at it. <laughs> Show honor. Show honor. And I think you can all agree with me on this. If there is anything we do not do well as Christians, it is show honor to those we wish to influence. There is some idea that we have developed, I don't really know where it comes from, that says if someone in a position is not a Christian, if they're an actor, if they're a movie producer, if they're a politician, if they're a government official, if they're a teacher, whatever it is, if someone does not live according to the Christian life, they are fair game, and it is hunting season. And we go on social media, and we tear them down, and we blast them, and we say horrible things about anyone who is not living out the lifestyle that we would like to have for them, and then we're mad they don't listen to us. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If you got to be president for eight years and a group of people said nothing but how you were so wrong because you made different decisions, all right, I'm not validating anyone else's decisions. I'm just saying they're different, okay? And all that that group of people did is tell you how horrible you were, how evil you were, and all the wrong things you did. Just tell me, would you invite them over for dinner and say, can you give me advice? No. We've lost our voice to influence because we don't show honor. We think because our CEO is, is sleeping with a secretary that we have the right to come in late and say smart eloquent remarks in the hallway. We don't show honor. But Daniel, do you all understand we have nothing on Daniel? When we talk about living in America today and talking about how it's not Christian, you need to understand Daniel lived in the midst of basically a studio set for a triple X film. I mean, Daniel lived in the greatest debauchery there was in the midst of it. And you know what he did? He kept his eyes on God, and he honored the people who actually created the mess. Did you see? I told you to remember the words, but Daniel replied with a smart aleck attitude. No, no, no. Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. And Daniel said to the king, O king, king of kings. That's literally what he said. And he did do it with a little K, by the way, just so you know, because he wasn't going to lie. Little K, king of kings. Show honor. If you, if you want to influence someone who's different from you, stop attacking them for being different and show them honor for the position that they have and wait for God to give you this opportunity, which leads us to number five of what Daniel did. Take risk. Take risk. And I know, I'll give you this. There's a supernatural element to this story. This story wouldn't exist if Daniel had not have supernaturally heard from God the dream and its interpretation. But I just want to remind you, you have that God dwelling within you. So don't, Go live like a Chaldean who says, that, that's the power of the gods and he's not with us. No, 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 he is with us. You can do this. You can actually raise your hand and say, Mr. CEO, I don't understand a thing in those reports, but tomorrow morning I will give you a strategy that will save our business and you can go home and pray. As long as you do one thing. Daniel walked into the room and he didn't, Daniel would not have said this because he did not say this. Thank you for seeing me, Mr. CEO. I have a plan to save our company. Nope. How many of you would do this? 
Thank you for seeing me, Mr. CEO. Before I speak, I want you to know I don't have any idea what will save our company, but my God does. There's a God in heaven, and I prayed to him last night, and he gave me the plan that will save our company. Would you like to do it? Who's going to say that to their boss tomorrow? But that's what Daniel said to the king. I'm nobody. I've got no idea, but there's a God in heaven who does. See, here's what happens. When you put God's glory at stake, God shows up to defend it. You put your glory at stake, good luck. You're on your own. But if you put God's glory at stake, he will show up and defend it. And we learned last week, God will always validate his people and then man will always promote. And that's exactly what we saw happen. Here's what I believe. We are created to be influencers. I don't believe for one minute that we are biological accidents. I don't believe for one minute that we are overpopulated and we surprised God and most of us are insignificant. Nope. I believe what the Bible says about us. You were created for good works, which God prepared before you ever even touched this earth. You were created with a very exclusive and specific purpose. I could quote scripture all day long about what God has planned for you. And it is not insignificant. We are created to be influencers. And the reason we live mediocre lives is because of those five things right there that Daniel got right and we don't. Maybe you get one, maybe you get three, maybe you get four. I don't think there's anybody in here who would say, I knock it out of the park on all five. But that is your takeaway. That's why I said, write those five things down. It's still on the screen. Take a picture with your phone if you haven't. Go home, write them on your mirror and start asking yourself every day, how am I doing at compromise? How am I doing at my identity? If I go to your work tomorrow and say, hey, hey, is Billy Ray Joe Bob here? Yeah, he's over there. What do you think about him? Oh, he's a great guy. He's super funny. He's smart, does a good job, you know, and he knows the best restaurants in town. We'd love to go to lunch with him. Really? That's all you got to say? You wouldn't say he's a follower of Jesus? Do the people around you even know your identity? Is that not the first thing that should come out of their mouths? Oh, my boss, he's a phenomenal follower of Jesus. My coworker, they're always telling me Jesus is, is the answer. Do people know you for that? Are you excellent? Do you show honor? And after those four line up, when God gives you a chance, are you willing to risk everything for him? Because if you do, you just might become the second highest person in the land, on a land that's not even yours. Not even yours. That's what God can do. Here's what I know. We were created to be influencers. And I think God wants us to take that influence. Ask yourself, where, where can you have influence? Where has God given you a position? I'm going to close by talking to one group of people that maybe has not recognized Jesus is your king. Maybe your primary designation is not yet citizen of his kingdom because no one has ever expressed the truth to you or you've never responded to the truth. And that is, you don't become a Christian by going to church. You don't get citizenship in a kingdom that will last forever simply because you were born in the Bible Belt. No, all of that comes from at one point in history, every human on their own must look Jesus in the eyes. Time comes together and you say, thank you for dying for me. I want to live for you. And if you've never done that, I want to help you do that here this morning. You don't have to do anything weird or stand up. We're going to pray right where you're seated. Would you join me, everybody? And let's pray. Pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died a death I deserve. 
I thank you for your love, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. I thank you for bringing me into your kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever. And my simple prayer today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.